This is the Darren Paltrowcast with Darren Paltrowitz. I've been interviewing musicians, comedians, and all sorts of entertainers for almost 20 years. Joan Rivers, Flavor Flav, Paris Hilton, members of Guns N' Roses and the Eagles, and countless others. This show is about artists and why they do what they do. On this edition of the Paltrowcast are my interviews with musician, artist manager, and radio host Scott Waldman, founding Genesis guitarist Steve Hackett, and big sugar frontman Gordy Johnson. First up are highlights from my chat with Scott Waldman, who's someone I first met as a teenager growing up on Long Island, and we had a mutual friend and musician named Jeff Tobias. Now, Scott is not only the leader of the band Lido Beach, but he's also a successful artist manager and a radio host. I'll be appearing on his radio show, Waldman's Words, in April, which came up in our conversation about how he got to where he is today. The fact that you are a manager, a musician, a radio host. When someone says, Scott, what do you do for a living? What do you usually say? How do you like to be defined? I usually have been saying lately, and you're probably going to mock me because that's what we do, but um, I try to turn a dollar into three. That's what I just try to do. Um, and I guess my biggest source of income comes from management, uh, but hopefully one day I'll become like a Ryan Seacrest for the Jewish community. Well, the, those are very steep ambitions right there to be the Ryan Seacrest, per se. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of like go hard or go home, right? I mean, a lot of musicians, like, I mean, if you want to be in a band that's bigger than Nirvana, I mean, you're fucking nuts, but you might as well be ambitious as opposed to I, I want to be a million hyphens and struggle all the time and be a really shitty father. I definitely don't want to do that. Well, what was the first band that you managed or consulted for? Ha! That was, that's funny. Um, that was quick, by the way. It was, I, I try not, you know what, you'll be the first ever show where I say her name. Why the hell not? Um, so basically I was working at a law firm and I was also playing in two bands in Lido Beach and Greenlight Theory. And I used to teach a lot of guitar lessons, but I didn't at the time. And this girl, Sherelle, um, who I actually performed at her bat mitzvah, believe it or not, Boulevard of Broken Dreams with her and her friend, they sang and I played guitar. She, uh, she's like, you should uh, check out my music. And I was like, oh my God, like, it's great that you do music. And especially if it's someone I taught. So she's like, yeah, I would love it if you'd come to a show and give me notes. And I said, well, <laughs> you know, you can't unhear what I tell you. And she's like, no, no, you're a New Yorker. You know, you're no bullshit. I mean, we're in LA where it's a lot of like, hey, and it's not really uh, sincere. So I gave her a long, long series of notes, thought she was good, not amazing, but definitely had some raw talent. She took those notes and then the next show was packed. So very quickly I said, you need a manager. Do you want me to manage you? And then I'd say less than a week later, um, I quit. So that was, my first client was named Relly, and um, it was very short term. And how long ago was that that you uh, had that first client? Uh, that was in March, I believe, of uh, 2015, so like around spring then, and I quit the law firm in April, and I haven't had like a clock in, clock out, or a salary job ever since. I've been on um, 100% commission, but you know, I'm very grateful that I even had that conversation with Sherelle that led me to think, oh shoot, like I could 
potentially be the consigliere or do this for people. That's what I look at. A manager is pretty much the consigliere. You started off as a musician as a teenager, correct? Uh, yeah, actually, I started guitar as a teenager. Um, I started singing when I was really, really young. And apparently, um, my middle school chorus teaches me on his flyers. You told me that. So go, Mr. Mazeltov. But basically, um, I had been singing and doing theater, you know, acoustic guitars. And then I just started playing bands. And then I played in a band um, called uh, We Are Groove Animals. And then I went to the University of Michigan. And now I'm talking to you. That's the theme. I might just always revert back to now I'm talking to you. <laughs> well, what inspired you to move out to Los Angeles? I, I knew that, like, in music, yes, you, you can make it if you're from Detroit or if you're from St. Louis or wherever. But there's a, a higher populace of people trying to do this in cities like New York, um, I mean, not even Brooklyn at the time, like Manhattan, Los Angeles, and Nashville. And I was from New York, and I just didn't want to graduate college and then move home and have all my familial obligations and friend obligations and move back with my mom and dad and all that. And so I had a buddy who wanted to be a screenwriter, and it was cute. I was the guy who wanted to be in a rock band. And I moved here. I knew only a few people. And joined a band called the city drive and like in a year and three months, like after I moved to LA, we signed with Columbia records. It was pretty quick. And this was like pre social media. So, or a friendster was coming out. Um, but a lot of people didn't believe me, but it fucking happened. And around the time that you moved out of long Island was when brand new and taking back Sunday and a lot of the scene of emo was happening. Uh, did you know a lot yeah. of the people involved in that world? Um, what's funny is the band Inside, which had, I believe, some some people. I think Eddie Reyes was in the band Inside. But I, I, I always say that anytime I leave somewhere, it gets cool. Uh, because <laughs> when I was in high school, like the stuff that I really listened to on Long Island was like the ska punk stuff, like the Edna's Goldfish type stuff. And that's actually where I met Jeff Tobias at Deja One in Mineola. And there were bands like Step Lively doing well and the Lightweights and Shimmy Chung and that whole scene. And then as soon as I left, then like, of course, like Glassjaw, brand new, Taking Back Sunday, all the movie life, Bayside, all these bands get big. And then as soon as I leave fucking Ann Arbor, like the White Stripes and all these Detroit bands get big. So I'm just like, maybe I should leave L.A. and then maybe it'll get cool again because it hasn't been cool since like the 80s. If you left really L.A., like, where would you go? Wherever you live to make it, you know, more uncool, right? You live in Long Beach. So like maybe I'd go instead of Lido, like growing up in the hard knocks of Lido, maybe Long Beach. I don't know. It totally depends. I mean, I'm married. So wherever she tells me I can move, that's where I'll move. Have you encountered other people from Lido Beach and Long Beach in your years of living in Los Angeles? Um, I have, actually. I mean, there's a few other people from my neck of the woods out here, but like, I, I would say that most of the people that I hung out with when I first moved out here, I mean, none of them pretty much are out here anymore, but they were all transient. They're all out-of-state people. So there's a lot of people who are trying to escape cold. the surprising amount of people out here from Minnesota. Like there's just a huge contingency of that. And I, I did, I had a buddy who actually was a year older than me that uh, went to a Chaminade and grew up across the street from me in Lido. He was out here for a bit and that was really cool, but I really don't have like any real Long Island contingency out here, which is 
could be argued that that's great or shitty. You be the judge. What is a day yeah, in the sure. life as a manager in 2018 like? Um, well, I'll, I'll just tell you about today. I mean, basically, you know, you wake up and you have X amount of emails, you know, that are unread. And the way that I do things is that, like, I make it kind of like a shopping list. So if something is unopened, that's like, oh, shit, I need to pick up carrots. So I have emails like uh, addressing a specific client or a specific thing I need to do. So um, there was just an issue that came up for one of my producers that I managed that I've been on the phone with him probably six or seven times today. And it was just something that I didn't expect to happen today. Like I didn't even think about this thing for over a month, this specific thing. So it's just every day is completely different and there's no like, a to B to C, like you advise several people, you try to connect them with various people, but I'm not the one who's writing the songs and I'm not the one who is, you know, recording or what have you. So I'm just taking whatever they have and either trying to further their art or create the art. Like if Darren wants to record a spoken word album, like I would try to connect you with a producer that I manage who could help actualize that. So like, Every day is completely different. Yesterday, um, for example, Mondays are the days where I, I pretty much have phone calls from the early morning until noon back to back to back. And today was good because I didn't have any real plan calls except you. So it's just, it's so fucking different every single day. And sometimes I yearn for structure and sometimes I'm like, oh, this is awesome. Like I, I, I'm the architect. And where does your artist career fall into all that? Basically, it's, it took a backseat in the beginning. Like I really like shortly after I started managing, I dissolved Lido beach. And then shortly after that, the drummer and I from Van green life theory, we quit and I just wasn't doing any real music. I mean, I played three shows in the nineties cover band called the Seattle's just for fun. Um, where we played a sweet 16 and a few bars, but pretty much took a backseat. And then like last year, I really felt this ginormous creative void. So I recorded, a few songs that actually, that's a story in itself. I flew to Ohio, recorded songs, and then the producer ghosted me. So a producer I used to um, manage, actually, who now we co-manage a band together that we've yet to announce, named Curtis Douglas, presented something my way, and it turned into the song You Fell Hard. And that was the first song I recorded in a really long time. And it was so fulfilling that I just recorded an acoustic version of an old song, My Oh My, put that out and recorded three other songs as well. So is it a full-time gig? No. Do I want to be on the road for half a year, let alone more than half? Absolutely not. I'm 37. I get sore after one show and I'm married, but it's just fun. And I think that a lot of my clients like that I do that because I speak their language. And then when in your uh, career did the radio show come about? Oh, two years ago. Um, basically, I was talking with uh, someone high up at Adobe who connected me with um, their program director and we were talking and he found that I, he's like, you're, um, I might be butchering his quote, but he's like, you're pretty funny and charming for a manager. And it's kind of a backhanded compliment, but I was like, thanks. Um, I should have a radio show. And it actually turned into one. We're actually uh, recording this the day that my show hits the airwaves. So it's, episode i mean i can even look it up right now I, i'm i'm honored that i've had over 100 episodes yours is going to be one of them 
But right now, I believe we're in like episode like 105 or 106, which is pretty freaking nuts. Had you done any Thanks. broadcasting before launching the show? Nope. So purely a case of the person said, hey, you're charming. You should do this. <laughs> and you said, okay. I think he said it kind of in a joking way, but I actually took it seriously. And then we came up with a concept privately. And yeah, no, I'm on the website right now. I'm 105 episodes have aired. Uh, tonight's is 106. And it's actually where my assistant, Emily Burke, shout out to her, interviews me. So um, yeah, and I'm already pre-recorded recorded a whole bunch of others that have yet to hit the airwaves and I'm booked out till around like October, November of next year. So it's pretty fucking awesome. And you just mentioned being that far ahead yet your management in general, what you're doing changes by the minute. Yep. (laughs) Your artist career, I'd imagine similar to the management career in that it's changing by the minute. Does that bother you that you're in so many directions at the same time? No, because I honestly like, The radio show, I love it. I really do. But it's like, aside from promoting it, um, like a few days a week and booking talent, which really doesn't take too long because a lot of people really want to be on the show. It's only like a small commitment a week. Like I get the studio for about an hour and a half on Wednesdays and my prep for the interview, I really try to make it organic, kind of like this, where it's just, it's off the cuff. Yes, I have a basic framework for who the person is, so it's not completely blind, but I like to make it feel like conversation. So it's only a few hours a week. It does not interfere with my own personal music, which doesn't take much at all. I say management is by far my biggest time constrainer. That's the word. Time constrainer. <laughs> that, I the new super drag EP. Sure. <laughs> well, I time didn't constrainer, know. Constrainer, I'll down home and bring me down. Time constrainer. Okay, anyway. I, that was a live one. <laughs> that was a cinecality. Yeah, well, yep, you got it. Track five. So where do you see things going in terms of labels? Do you see more artists just putting out their stuff through TuneCore in the future? I mean, right now, TuneCore and DistroKid, it's so easy for someone to put something out. I mean, me and you could start a project right now and put it out. And it's and it'll be on the internet with just as many, quote unquote, opportunities as the others. Um, I'd say that the labels are are still good for a while because a lot of them, believe it or not, have like, niche followings like especially like in the indie world like if you're associated with like something like an epitaph or a rise or fearless or hopeless or equal vision or pure noise like you have a built-in fan base much like you know in in the 90s back with epitaph and like fat records like or fueled by ramen and drive through in the 2000s uh but i mean the playing field is level and um the major labels have the resources to get you on some of the bigger playlists or some radio stations and what have you and have money to record. But it's a lot easier now for an upstart artist to make it because, you know, back in the day, like when we were listening to music, it would have cost tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars to record. And now anyone can do it. So how's this interview going for you? That's the most important thing. You interview a lot of people. I just want to be so charming. I change your life. Well, for them today, I would say you're number one on the charmometer right now. Charmometer. Yeah, it's a thermometer for charm. No, I love it. I, I would love to hang one, but you can't use that in the bottom region. You have to put it through the mouth. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> so the bottom line is you're doing what you want to do. You're doing it. I'm well. trying to. Is that the narrative here? Yeah. I mean, as yeah. Right now, we'll see. We'll see if I could do this forever because. I want to be a father, I want to raise a family, and I have to figure out how to navigate that. Right now, since I work from home, I'm doggy daycare. 
So I also take care of the dog when I'm home. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm an artist manager slash radio host slash musician slash super fan of the interim intern. Any last words for the kids? Yeah, you make your own last words. So whatever legacy you want to leave in the world, it's completely up to you. Be careful what you post on social media. Luckily, Darren and I are too old to really have that problem. But just there's so many avenues for you to do whatever you want in life. And you have so much information at your fingertips with the internet. Really, really own something, have accountability, and bust your tuchus. Next up is my chat with Steve Hackett, who helped found Genesis and has been a successful solo artist ever since. His new album, a follow-up to 2017's The Night Siren, is titled At the Edge of Light, and it'll be out on January 25th. This is my second time interviewing Steve, who is a very pleasant human being, to say the least. So the new album is At the Edge of Light, and it's, I believe, a year and a half since you put out The Night Siren. Have you always been this prolific? Well, you know, I think that Roger says that I'm slow, but I think that um, I don't know anyone who's producing solo albums you know, quite as quickly as this, you know, in terms of the ambitious scale of it and the amount of people that we have involved, it takes some organizing to get people from all over the world on, on a record. And I don't think I'm the slowest, but Hey, maybe I'm not the quickest. I, I don't know. I, to me, I think it's actually very fast these days to have an album out within a year and a half. Was any of the album written, you know, when you were doing the sessions for The Night Siren? Um, well, I, don't, I don't believe they were. No, I tend to write each each album as it, as it goes along. And what I do do is, is jot down ideas in books, um, uh, particularly when, when, when traveling. So um, I work with a pen, pen and paper a lot of the time, um, and that helps me. Uh, but things come out of conversations and it comes out of travel and um, ideas come along when I least expect it and usually at the most inconvenient times. So, um, you know, like when you're in the shower, not so easy. But um, like this morning, I wrote down a baseline that just came to me in the shower. No one's invented the waterproof pen. What I really need is a recording uh, a studio in the shower. I think that would be just ideal. Well, uh, in the case of Prince, I believe he had it set up so that every room in his house was recording right. at every single moment of the day. Really? Yeah, that sounds like you know the White House, really, isn't it? Or, uh, or maybe before it, uh, before Nixon. I don't know. Um, funny that, isn't it? Yeah, good idea. I think good idea. Yeah, get yourself wired up, you know, the whole time, yeah. But you yourself did record this new album in your home studio, correct? That's right, yeah, yeah. Uh, although some people sent performances, mainly the drummers um, sent stuff in. I think everyone else I worked with face-to-face. So do you demo songs before you record them for your album? Well, you know, I remember reading something years ago. Somebody was talking about an updatable demo and that was harder during uh, the analog years, but ever since we've had the digital domain, um, and we use a mixture of both, by the way, um, it's meant that you can do an updatable demo. So however it starts out, um, it's going to go through changes by the time we've finished, unless, of course, you've done something in one day. And I've done a few tracks that I've, I've used in my time that have been done in, in, in one day sometimes written and recorded in one day. It's not very, very often, but uh, 
it's lovely when you get that hole in one. A lot of artists don't look at a song as being done on an album. For example, they're going to tour it for the next few years and the song's going to keep yeah. evolving. Do you see the song yeah. as done when it's on the album? Uh, well, I think there are certain things. Um, how does a song evolve? Um, I might change a solo or two. I might change the length of it. Um, I think that's how uh, something that's, that's, that's written can change. Obviously, yes, you could you can rewrite. Um, I was doing that back in the days of Spectral Mornings, back in 1979. In other words, recording a version of uh, Tiger Moth, which was on that album, um, which was a vocal tune, had various moments and um, uh, and developed in in a in a kind of proggy sort of way. But then, uh, when we did it live, we took it right down to a. Um, to an instrumental and still use wide dynamics. So although I called it, it, it Tiger Moth, it, it, it was very much a variation on that tune, so much so that you say, well, this is, you know, this is an entirely different song, arguably. Yeah. Interesting. So another thing that I find very interesting about you is that you have a career that's really, really long, and it's got different phases in it, in terms of people first knew you from Genesis, then you became a solo artist, and then along the way you had GTR, and then you became a solo artist again, from what I can tell. And mm -hmm. the GTR period of your career, is that something you look back on fondly at all? Well, I do, yeah. I think that um, uh, When the Heart Rules the Mind, which was the, 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 the standout track and then the hit single we had from that, suddenly I was in a position to you know, work with Steve Howe and, and produce a hit at a time when all the other Genesis members were having hits either collectively as the band or, 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 or as, as solo acts. And we were, Time magazine said, they noticed that we were all in, in the American top 20, all in the Billboard top 20 at, at one point in time and um, uh, with, with one thing or another. So I, I needed to prove to myself that it wasn't just an accident that, that Genesis took off. And um, I think it was good for each of us to realize that we each had something to say and uh, in that very competitive you know band that early early band um, it proved the point that was that was significant for me in other words writing writing a hit um, which I don't spend my life trying to write hits I think that 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 unfortunately you know albums you know post 1980s post 1979 people seem to be coming up with collections of potential hit singles masquerading as albums I think that the 1970s was perhaps perhaps a, a more a fruitful era of things which were genuine albums whereas things seemed to change during the MTV era great though that was as a, as a, as a shop window on, on you know for everyone's ability um, whilst it lasted um, nonetheless I think that albums themselves can be supremely visual the, the visual elements can be there within the songs they don't have to be an addendum they don't have to be an appendage to uh, a video as as Brian Eno said you know appendages to videos there's danger that, that songs were turning into into that and perhaps you've got the difference between the 1970s and the 80s or indeed every era that preceded the MTV generation that makes a lot of sense and I had the pleasure of seeing you in New York City I believe at the PlayStation Theater about two years ago, and it amazed uh -huh. me how your audience doesn't take out their phones. They're entirely focused on the music. Did you ever right. notice that? Uh, well, you know that's that's an interesting thing, isn't it? Um, yeah, um, uh, it was great. You know, we 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 did that, and and we did you know that a couple of times, and 
remember meeting Bruce Willis at the, um, one of those gigs, and um, and that was that was that was fab, you know. Um, yeah, we, you know, to have the respect of the audience is great, but you know, I'm, I'm still entertaining. It's not it's not a seminar, but um, there's a lot of detail there, a lot of musical detail that still, luckily, seems to fascinate people, you know, because at the time, 1973, John Lennon said that Genesis was one of the bands he was listening to. So next year, I'm going out celebrating that era of 1973, selling them by the pound and doing most of, of Spectral Mornings as well and whatever I can fit in in two and a half hours of uh, stuff from the new album too. So try and reach, you know, three sides of the triangle there. So it sounds like 2019 is not going to be a slow year for you at all. No, I, I seem I seem to be speeding up. Uh, people seem to be taking notice. People have said, oh, as, as others are winding down, you seem to be speeding up and perhaps coming up with best stuff now uh, when traditionally um, artists are supposed to sort of wind down and do something every now and again and uh, and uh, the best work is behind them. But I think I'm, I'm damned if I want to be classed in that bracket of, of uh, you know, dilettant now. All the glories are in the past. And I don't want to do that. That's um, I'm still trying to do authentic songs. It's it's not hard work for me. It's just it's 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 a passion and uh, it it comes naturally. And I'm I like to think I'm getting better at it. Uh, but you know what what's better? What's what's a better song? You know, competing with yourself, shadow boxing with your young with your young self. Can't drink like I used to. Can't smoke like I used to. Uh, but I can I can play. I can do things with my fingers that I couldn't do then. It means I can still be at, at peak or even, you know, supersede that stuff then. You know, lots of techniques that I've acquired or invented since then. Yeah, I can give my my, my young self a run for his money, that young oik. You just answered my next three questions within that. So. Oh, oh, good. Okay. <laughs> so so if, if you don't mind, I'll go to my closer, if you don't mind, Steve. Sure. Uh, any last words for the kids? Oh, for the kids? Oh, well, um, I would say um, for kids uh, who are uh, aspiring to play or form bands, um, don't be put off by um, the naysayers. Don't let anyone tell you that you can't do it. The only thing you've got to do is is, is to love it and um, just keep at it, I think. Uh, loving it is the most important lesson, and no one can really teach you that. So ignore all the all the pundits on that one, including me. Ignore what I'm saying, but what I've found is loving it was the key to still being in the game. Last but not least are highlights from my phone chat with Big Sugar leader Gordy Johnson. Gordy and Ben recently paid tribute to longtime Big Sugar bassist Gary Lowe with a big tribute show which included members of Bare Naked Ladies, Danko Jones, The New Deal, and lots of other top Canadian artists. Gordy, who kindly tolerated my vocal difficulties and my tardy phone call, also talked about the next Big Sugar album within our chat. So I'd like to first ask you about the tribute show. How long did it take to put together? Um, <laughs> we're still putting it together. It's... Um... It's been several months in the making. I mean, we got the idea um, toward the end of the summer of of doing something just to pay tribute to the guy. And it just so happened that the the date that was available for the venue was also Gary's birthday. And it was, you know, we wanted to get it done before the end of this year. So it falls between Christmas and New Year's. It all kind of worked out. Toronto's the best city to do it in because most of the people that, Gary worked with. I mean, Gary 
lived in Toronto most of his life. So that was the place. Uh, will you be recording and filming it so that people who can make the show will be able to see it? Uh, we will be filming it um, just for historical purposes. Um, we don't have plans to you know, mix it and release it just at the moment. Uh, we're a bit overwhelmed with just putting it on. Um, but yeah, it will be, uh, audio will be recorded and there'll be camera crews there. Uh, there's a documentary crew as well. So yeah, it'll be, it'll be well covered. And then you yourself in terms of the setup, will it be a house band scenario that you're playing on the, on the stage the whole time or something like that? Um, here's the deal. If everyone's doing big sugar songs and it's, it's members from different bands, playing together with us. So at any given time, I'll always be on stage. You know, there, there will be at least three members of big sugar on stage, but there are different bass players and guitar players and singers and drummers. So it'll just be a constantly rotating cast of, uh, of people, but we're, they're doing all of our songs or, or cover songs that we've done and songs that Gary loved in his, uh, in his career and in his life. Now, you personally, what brought you to Austin, Texas, of all places? Oh, um, I started coming down here in the early 90s, and uh, it was always a place that we came back to to recharge and just get inspired. And, and anytime I needed a fresh, a fresh idea, I would come down here and play a little bit. And it's it just for the, the culture and the music and the the weather a little bit, you know, it's not too bad. And was the weather one of the main reasons that you moved there, that you wanted a place that was warmer? No. Uh, like I said, music and, and culture, food. Yeah, just the whole culture of the place was really inspiring. I've worked in studios down here for for decades as well, you know, as a producer and an engineer, and just uh, found it a really healthy environment for making music. Yeah, your credits are very, very impressive as a as a producer and engineer. Is that most of what you'll be working on in 2019, or what can you tell me about your other current projects? For the last two years, we've been making a new Big Sugar record, which, I mean, there's tragedy. <laughs> we were hit by tragedy throughout, but, um, you know, it forced us to have to start over at least once. Yeah, we, we're almost done now. we I have my own studio, so I've been able to, uh, you know, just get up in the morning and walk down the hill and and go do it. But it's just about done. So once it's out, I imagine we'll be about the business of playing Big Sugar music most of the year. And will there be a proper U.S. tour in the future for Big Sugar? Uh, I sure hope so. We have a lot of interest these days, especially in California and in Texas. So the plan is, anyway, to to get out and play more extensively. As you can imagine, the last couple of years, we've been sort of hemmed in Gary's health. We didn't, you know, we didn't know what was, what the outcome was going to be. But now that that's all, you know, the dust has all settled from that and we have a solid band again. So we're, yeah, we'll be in the mood to get out and play. Well, how do you feel about the fact that Big Sugar was, you know, a Canadian national treasure and then lesser known in the u.s does that bother you in any way uh, i hope that's not an awkward question i mean those are those are outside perceptions i don't really i don't know i, I don't really perceive it that way and i'm not I, I don't feel that deeply affected by it one way or the other i mean i'm gonna 
I'm going to do what I'm going to do if someone's listening or not, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> we just stay focused on what we're doing and I'm, there's no time limit on it. I'll come out and play. I mean, we toured in Europe a whole bunch and then we didn't and then we did again. And so, uh, yeah, sure. Where if there's people that want to hear it, we will, uh, we'll come in and do it. Uh, you know, the whole thing isn't, isn't contingent upon quote unquote success or radio player, things like that. It never was really about that. So, well, is there something that you wish more people knew about big sugar in general? Uh, just their music. Yeah. I just, you know, for people to dig into our, our back catalog, but we've also been making records steadily every few years for, for decades, you know, so it continues to, continues to evolve. Any last words for the kids? <laughs> to, to, to the kids, my kids, <laughs> I need my kids to get out of bed. It's a school day. Um, last words. Uh, yeah, no, I'm not really, I'm just, you know, music's a beautiful thing. And I'm, you know, just trying to make people happy. I'm making myself happy at the same time. Yeah. So it's all working out. Thanks for listening to the Paltrowcast with Darren Paltrowitz on the Pure Grain Audio Network. More information on the Paltrowcast can be found online at www.puregrainaudio.com. Until next time, have a great Shabbos. (laughs) 